theyeshiva.net. Okay, welcome all of you to our class this morning. Parshas Lech Lecha, Tavshin Ayin Dalit. You know, it looks like, it seems like an innocent, short, concise, straightforward, simple statement or verse. What can get so complicated? What can be so profound about a statement like, it's time for you to go out of town? I mean, we hear it all our life. It's time to move on. It's time to get out of your comfort zone and go somewhere else. I think I'm going to move. I don't like the place where I live. These are conventional, common sentiment statements that people make, even a few people living in Brooklyn. It's time to move on. And yet, I, am, I do not know if there are other verses that are even close to this posik, to this verse, in its revolutionary, historical, transformative message. A simple, innocent verse really carries within itself some of the most important, profound messages for life. And that is what we are going to explore today with the grace and help of God, the first Pasuk of Parshas Lech Lecha. The first statement ever made by the creator of the world to the first Jew who ever lived. You all know the Pasuk, Vayoymer Hashem al-Avram, Lech Lecha me'artzecha, God says to Avram, go forth from your land, from your birthplace, from your father's home to the land that I will show you. And then the psukim continue with other messages. Hashem tells them another few psukim. And of course, Avram Avinu follows the instructions and he and his wife and their nephew move on and move to the land that is then called Canaan, which is today known as Eretz Yisrael. And Lech Lecha continues with that narrative, but for today we're going to put a stop sign right after the first Pasuk and try to focus on it. Okay, Hashem tells Avram, go. But let's remember, this is the first commandment given by Hashem to the first Jew who ever lived. So naturally... One would appreciate the idea that this instruction must have been not just a geographical instruction, it's time to move, but that it contains within itself really the quintessential message of Yiddishkeit. What is Judaism? This, there's no other conversations before this. It's not like Hashem has already had an ongoing relationship with Avram and told him a lot of different things and messages. And then at some point he tells him, okay, now I want you to move. Fine. So that's in the context of everything else. There's nothing we know about Avraham Avinu, nothing, nothing about his Jewishness, about his spirituality, about his relationship with Hashem, about his morality, about his nobility before this Pasuk. All we know from the end of Parshat Noyach is that he existed. He had a father, Terach, and Terach had three sons. One was named Nachar, the other was named Avram, and the third was named Haran. That's it we know. We know that he married a woman named Sarai. We know that Sarai did not have children. That says at the end of Noyach. She was an akara, she was infernal, she was barren. We know that Haran died in the presence of his father. We know that they lived in a city called ur We know that they moved to another city called Haran. All in the country which is today known as uh, Iraq. 
That's what we know. And all we know is that Tarak died in Kharon, which is in northern Iraq. Iraq, border of Turkey. You familiar with the map a little bit? That's an important part of the world to be familiar with. Simply, the most news comes from there. And second of all, the most ancient news comes from there. Iraq, I don't know why, but somehow Iraq, that piece of land is probably the most, one of the most important, important countries today in history, I mean, what, what happened in the last few years, but also as far as ancient Jewish history. Where was Avraham Avinu born? In Iraq, never mind. Two of the four rivers, right, that came out of Eden to irrigate the garden where Adam and Chava were placed and told not to eat from one tree and eat from all the other trees. What are two of the four rivers? The Tigris, known in Hebrew as the Chidekel, and the Euphrates, which is Pras. Both are rivers that flow through Iraq. There's the Tigris and there's the Euphrates River. So the genesis of creation is Iraq. The whole Talmud Bavli was composed where? In Bavel, which is... Iraq. Avraham Avinu was born in Iraq. So that's quite a hot piece of land and it remains very hot uh, to this very day. It's not as calm and relaxed as America. New York, which is not a very relaxed city, is a beach of paradise and serenity relative to Iraq. So that's all we know about Avram Avinu. He lived there. His father died in Haran. We know nothing of what he did, nothing of what he achieved, nothing of what he believed in, nothing. The first opening verse that starts describing a relationship, something dramatic, something extraordinary about Avram Avinu's life is this. Obviously, then, we have to conclude logically that this verse encapsulates more than what would meet the eye at the first glance, meaning just leave and move out, you know. It's not a good place for you, it's time to change schools. It's time to come to Beisrifka Seminary, you've been looking here, there, there, there. We know it's fancy to go all over the world, but you just come to New York. So, as usual, depth is always gleaned through discrepancies. Right? <coughs> the word lecha doesn't belong here. You don't go to you. <laughs> you go with you. You take yourself and go. You don't go to you. Hopefully you were there when you went. So you don't go to you. Because if you weren't there when you went, so who is the you that went? You got that, right? So you don't go to you. You go, and you don't go from you. You go with, you go. <laughs> the word in Hebrew is lech, lech. Lech means go. Go, me'artzecha. Right. Lech lecha is an incomprehensible term in this context. It's so difficult that even Rashi, who's always concerned only with pshat and nothing else, pshute shal mikra, at least on a surface level, is also perturbed. And he has to come up with a whole interesting commentary to justify the word lecha, which really does not belong here at first glance. Question number one, even raised by Rashi. Next question. This question is also quite interesting. And that is the three statements. Leave, go from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's home. You don't do it that way. The order has to be exactly in the reverse. Imagine I would tell you, 
okay? Assuming that you live in, uh, in New York, in Brooklyn, in Crown Heights. I know some of you don't, but assuming those of you who do, it's just a metaphor. I tell you, I want you to leave the United States of America. In addition to that, I want you to leave New York City. In addition to that, I want you to leave Crown Heights. Doesn't work. Once you left the United States of America, you already left New York and you left Crown Heights. I should say, it's really time for you to get out of Crown Heights. It's also time for you to get out of New York. And in fact, it's time for you to get out of America. Hooray. That I got. Lech lecha from your land, from your country. Eretz's country is Iraq, the whole country. The next is, or whatever, it wasn't then called Iraq, obviously, but whatever your land is. Next is Meiladetcha, your birthplace, the city in which you're born. Then there's Mibesavicha, the home of your father. You could be in your land and not in the home of your father, but once you left your land, you left your father's home, you left your birthplace. The question is even stronger. Why is there even a need for three? You could just say, Lech, Meiladetcha, leave your land. Automatically, you left the other two. So the, the two mentions of Meiladetuch and Beisavicha are unnecessary. But granted, even if you want to be specific and you want to mention all three, obviously the order had to be reversed. First Beisavicha, and then Meiladetuchah, and then Meiartzuchah. These are the two major questions raised by commentators on this posse. And these questions are important because it's only because of these discrepancies and problems that we understand the deeper dimension of this verse and why it encapsulates the genesis of all of Judaism and why if somebody wants to if somebody wants to ask what is Yiddishkeit it's defined it's defined in this passage a little story the Friedrich Rebbe the Rebbe Rayatz writes about his father being Maiver Sedra you know what Maiver Sedra is there's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch it's known as Shnai Mikra Ve'echa Targum there's the obligation uh, on the men or on the Jew to Friday be Maiver Sedr, which means read through the whole parsha of the week, twice each Pasuk, and one, the Targum, the Unkulos, the Aramaic translation. Some do it with Rashi. This is called Shnai Mikra Echa Targum. You may have seen your grandfather or your father Friday night or Shabbos morning sitting with the Chumash. And being Maiva said, we're going through the whole parsha with Trop and each Pasuk twice and the Targum. The Friedrich Rebbe describes how, as a child, he once watched his father, the Rebbe Rashab, go through the Sedra, Parsha's Lechlecha, this Friday afternoon in his study. And he said, My father started the Pasuk with the Trop. And as his father was sitting, he saw the two large pearls, which you may call tears, came down from his father's holy eyes and streamed down his cheeks as he began being Maiva the Sedra and reading this Pasuk, two large tears just came down his face. When I read this many years ago, I asked myself, why was he crying? It's not a sad story. It's not a naturally painful story. What were evoking those large tears coming from the eyes of the Reverend on that particular Friday afternoon, which left an indelible, eternal impression on his child, on his son, 
to the point that decades later, or at some point later, he would transcribe it in his diary and later publish it. He does not explain why his father wept, nor did he ask his father why he wept. He leaves it up to our imagination. But I am going to uh, share with you insights on this passage, and then I want to come back to this and hear from you what you think triggered such profound emotion. And of course, it may be more than one thing. I don't know if there's one right answer and a wrong answer. You know, these are emotional, deep experiences, and sometimes we, ha- we have it right, sometimes we have it a little right, sometimes we have it completely right, sometimes we have you know, a mixture of right and wrong. But I would like to hear what you, uh, what you think about it. So, I'm now going to go with you, I'll try to go with you on a journey. And I'll tell you where this journey is going to take us. You know, before you start a journey, it's good to know the destination. One is a psychological journey, and one is a historical journey. In the psychological journey, we're going to discover that there's a message here that is one of the mo- probably one of the most important messages in life. And uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this message on one level or another. I ask of you, when you listen to this message, not only to listen to it with your cerebral brains, but also to listen to it with your heart and try to identify where you are in that story. Okay? I also ask you when I go through this journey that you should be open. What I mean open is don't necessarily try to fit it into what you know from all your classes and everything. No, just like... um, let the word give the words their own virtue. Don't try to fit it into what you know or what you don't know. Just like listen to the actual experience, the actual idea, and try to apply it if you can. That's the one journey, the psychological journey. Then we're going to go on a historical journey and see three ideas throughout history that shaped much of humanity and civilization. And we will discover how this Pasuk which was written and said many, many years before these three major historical ideas, actually addresses all of them and gives a different perspective. is not about geography only. If it would be about geography, as I told you, number one, two are superfluous, and number two, the order is completely out of order. The order is completely out of sync. It's not geography. It's what the geography represents. What the geography represents, ah, here it's important to speak about all three and only in this order. Lech lecha literally means go to you. And that's exactly what Hashem is telling him. He's not telling him leave in order to leave. I don't need you to go away from here. What I need, more importantly, is lech lecha. I need you to go to you. And it's here we immediately see that this instruction is not just about geographically relocating, but it's actually about a journey to you, to yourself. Lech, go where? Later he's going to say the land that I will show you. But first he says, go where? Lech lecha. I need you to go to you. I need you to go to you. What does it mean to go to you? Where am I? Am I not me? What does it mean to go to you? 
Am I not by me? Am I not with me? And if, how do I know I'm going to me and I'm going away from me? Mm. So for this, I have to do three things. I have to leave my Artsachan, I have to leave my Mawada Tachan, I have to leave my Besavich. But that's strange. My country, my birthplace, my parents' home, and that's all I'm going to go to me? That's how I'm going to go to me by leaving these places? These are the, uh, the cradles. Is that the word? This is the cradle where I was molded, where I was crafted. I mean, you all have a home, thank God, where you were born, where you were raised. Lech lecha, it's time to go in. There is a teaching here. And the teaching is this. I'm a little nervous because it's um, it's a little it's, it's 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 if you'll understand what I'm saying it's a little heavy it's emotionally heavy you see completely dependent on other people. And we suddenly and slowly, suddenly, slowly, that's a contradiction, but slowly and suddenly we grow up. <laughs> and suddenly we're sitting in seminary and uh, we think we're in control of our lives on some level. And uh, it didn't happen in one day, it happened over many years. But in that process, that process is a very loaded process. That process from birth to teenage years, to adulthood, to full maturity, all the way, God willing, to good old ripe age, is often something that happens in many people's lives. I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it in the words of the Pasek, Min HaMetzar, we say before Shai for blowing in Tehillim and Halal, Min HaMetzar Karasi Yutke, Anani Bamerchav Yutke. I call out from Metzar. I call out from distress. Metzar means distress, or from narrow, narrow straits. What often happens in life is, I'm born me, but then I become somebody else. And at some point, Hashem tells Avram, Lech Lecha, you have to go back to you. What happened? How did you leave the you? I'll tell you how you left the you. When we are children, we are so impressionable, we are so impacted by others, that what often happens as a result of what we see around us or what we hear around us, intentionally or unintentionally, consciously, usually more unconsciously, each of us forms a story about ourselves. Who am I? What's my value? What is my significance? What is my contribution? 
and how good or not good I am. Each of us forms a story about ourselves. I'll give an example. There can be a child who feels consciously or unconsciously that whatever they do is not good enough. They're always criticized. This may not be literally that somebody always criticizes you. It may be a feeling you're getting watching people around you very stressed or very busy or very overwhelmed or very occupied. And you often give yourself that message that whatever you do could never please, is never good enough. That's one message, one story you may have given yourself. Another story you may have given yourself is you always have to prove that you're deserving. You always need somebody to validate your behavior. You on your own, the way you are, are not perfect, are not good enough. What you need is approval. How do you get that message? You can get this message in 1.1 million ways. For example, for example, if you're told you're such a good girl because you did so and so, because you behaved so and so, aha. So this is how I become good. I'll tell it to you in a very dramatic way, which I heard once from a woman. It was a tragic story. I know this probably doesn't apply, I hope, but you'll get the message. I once met a woman, an elderly woman, and uh, I met her at a spiritual retreat. She was in a lot of pain, and she told me about her therapy work. And she said to me that when she was a child, her mother would always tell her, I love you because you're blonde. There was only one problem. You know what the problem was? She was dark. She wasn't blonde. So her mother dyed her hair as a child to be blonde. Until today, she can't live with herself because she wakes up in the morning, she looks in the mirror, and she has to dye her hair constantly in order to say to herself, my mother loves me. You understand what the problem is. Even if she was blonde, there's a wrong message. I love you because you're blonde. That's the source of the love because the color of the hair, number one. But no, at least he's blunt, right? Now, it's basically, I love you for something you're not, and you have to make yourself to be something else, and that's when you get my affection. You understand how wounded she is. On a different level, but in a similar way, this occurs to many people in many, many different ways. I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful. There's fear, fear. If whatever I said, I was put down or criticized, Right? Again, maybe unconsciously, maybe the person didn't mean it. If I maybe grew up in a home that was very tough, and if I had an opinion, I was shut down, I may tell myself, my opinions are valueless. They don't count. If I expressed an emotion, I said, be, be quiet already. Or, I can't hear you cry. Or, just take care of something else. I may learn, my emotions are valueless. Now, this is when I'm one, two, three, four. I don't do this consciously. I'm not sitting at a class and saying it as a three-year-old boy, my emotions don't count or my opinions don't matter or, uh, or uh, I can't express myself or I'm not allowed to express myself or I have to please people or I have to prove that I matter. I don't do this consciously. A little child is like a wet sponge, a wet sponge, and it goes in a very, very deep place. But now when I'm 14 or 19, or 21, or 24, or 43, or 41, <coughs> or whatever that age it is, I'm still behaving that way. I may be still behaving that way. I can't show up with my full presence. I will tell you what you want to hear. 
I will not dare to have my own opinion. I have to fit into this clique. I need your approval. I can't be honest with you because I have to make sure I'm pleasing you. I am extremely afraid just to be me. I'm extremely afraid to say no. I'm extremely fearful of myself. I maybe feel that I constantly need people's approvals and validation. If not, I don't exist. I may be extremely frightened to take initiative, to take risks, because maybe the first time I took a risk and I failed, I was denigrated, and then I said, I'm never going to fail again. I'll always be perfect. I want to ask you a question, girls, deep down, and you need to answer this to yourself. What is your story? What is your story that you may be living with in a very deep place, and you keep on reacting to that story? You might say, oh, I'm completely free. I have no story. Okay, God bless you. I'm not sure I believe you 100%, but if that's the case, God bless. But think about this. This is what Hashem told Avram. Lech lecha. And the first thing that has to happen, lecha, you've got to get rid of your stories. And you know where your stories come from? Three places. Artzacha, Moiladadacha, and Beisavich. You know why it's in this order? Because each of these stories coming from these places is more and more intense, more and more restrictive, and more and more overwhelming. It's easier to get rid of the story of Artzacha. It's not so easy to get rid of the story of Meiladadacha. The story of Beis Avicha, whoa. That, that's tough stuff. Yes? But is that not what makes you? And who are you if not? Good question. Good question. Is that not what makes you? You're asking, is there even anything else? Is there even anything else? Great. The answer is, there's Lecha. There's you. <laughs> and we'll see what that is. Actually, yes. Of course there's good parts of the story that you don't have to abandon. We're not talking about the good parts of the story. Will you elaborate on how it's But you know what makes any, any part of the story that's a good part, what makes it good is that it allows lecha. What makes any part of the story good is that it nurtures the lecha. You got what I'm saying? That's what makes it good. You understand? This is not a pessimistic view. Oh, everything was, uh, you know, people that their, their whole life, my mother is the worst thing that ever lived, my father, like, never, my brother. It's not about that. There's, there's tremendous good, and the older you get, you realize that, and you have to be grateful, and and it's not even about anybody doing anything intentionally. Life is very precious. You all know your parents, you all know your siblings, they may be wonderful people, but life is a very stressful experience if you haven't figured it out yet. Maybe not at this point, but at some point, trust me, there is pressure in life. Yeah, of course I'm going to elaborate. Of course I'm going to elaborate. Yeah, the three. She wants to know the three, yeah? How do you know what the you is? That's a good question. How do you know what the you is? Wonderful questions. Okay. So... When I say your story, I mean your restrictive story. Your restrictive, the story that's holding you back. The minhametzar, the minhametzar. Okay, the first story comes from Artzacha. That's very general. The country we live in, the country we live in, every country has its culture, 
its dynamics, what it introduces to all of its inhabitants implicitly and explicitly and very subtly. Americans are not Italians. Russians are not Poles. Hungarians are not French. Every country has its zeitgeist. You know what zeitgeist means? Uh, it's a very good word, zeitgeist. It's like the the soul of the country. You know the uh, yeah mentality, zeitgeist. It's a German word, zeitgeist. It's like the geist, the, the ruach, the ruach. You know. Then there's myladetcha. Myladetcha is already more specific. Let's take many of us are Americans, right? Those of us who are Americans. You know, Americans are Americans. They're different than Israelis. <laughs> They're different than Russians. There are many things, you know, an American. But that's not so restrictive because it's the country. But then there's my Ladadach. So it's easier? So it's easier. Then there's my Ladadach. Let's call that Crown Heights. My Ladadach has Oh, this is already much more intense, right? There's the schools you grew up in. There's the environment. There's the shuls, there's the community, there's your teachers, your machanchos, your moros, your mashpios. There's the whole myladatcha. What that did to you. It did great things. But are there stories that are restricting you that you have certain impressions? I was at a bar mitzvah not long ago. I was dancing with the father of the bar mitzvah boy. He's crying by the dance. I'm wondering. What's there to cry about? It's his son's bar mitzvah. He says, do I amount to anything? He's in his 40s, the owner. Who asks? He's dancing. Do I, you know what amount to anything is? Do I count? Am I worth anything? And he tells me at his son's bar mitzvah that when he was a boy in yeshiva, there was a staff member who came over to him. He wasn't a good learner. He didn't really go in. A staff member came over to him and said, Nothing will come of you. You're just wasting your time there. Decades later, at his son's bar mitzvah, he asks me, a friend of his, we're more or less the same age, if he amounts to anything. And I said, five children, a wonderful wife, what a great bar mitzvah, what a great person you are, father, husband, what do you mean you amount to anything? He wanted to hear that from me in his 40s, that he amounts to something. He was living with that. So I said, you think about what this guy told you when you were 13, 14? He said, I think about it every day. Some people, at least he thinks about it. Some people don't even consciously think about it. It's just there. But they're living that way. They're living from that place. Now, then there's Beisavich. Beisavich is very deep. Beisavich means my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, the house dynamics, what was happening in my bedroom, in my kitchen, in my dining room, my living room, and what would happen as a little, little child, and the messages I absorbed, the messages I absorbed that may have created for me a very restrictive story. Am I allowed to be comfortable? You know, so a, 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 a woman once told me, when she sits on a couch in her house, right, she feels guilty. Why? Because already as a little girl, her mother said, what are you sitting there for? What are you sitting there for? Her mother didn't mean to tell her you're not allowed to, but her mother said, you know, you have homework, but what did she hear? What she heard is in life, you're not allowed to be. 
You always have to do, you always have to prove yourself. You're not allowed to just celebrate your being. There's no such a thing as human being, there's human becoming. But that's not our name. Our name is human being. Now, you understand? Again, no, I don't think anybody was malicious here. But as children, we can't always discriminate. Today, if you tell me something that I don't like, I could say, you know, I don't like what you're saying. It's fine. When I'm four, I can't do that. What you tell me, I take very, I absorb very deeply. I heard once from the Rebbe of Habrengit that with little children, you're dealing with the root of a tree. If I go to a tree here and I scratch the trunk, so what do you think happens? The trunk gets scratched. Scratched. I scratch a branch. Okay. I scratch an apple. Okay. So you scratch the apple. But if you scratch the roots, you know what happens? The whole tree is affected. Because the root is the root of everything. And he said a childhood, it's like a scratch in the brain. The Rebbe gave us an example? Yeah, I heard it from the Rebbe himself. The example about education. Education. You're dealing with roots. And whenever you deal with roots, remember, it's going to affect the branches and the trunk and the leaves and the fruits on many, many levels. So... It, it may be innocent, innocent interactions, right? It may be the Shabbos table. There may have been a lot of pressure at your Shabbos table. You don't know the Vartaira? What happened? Or somebody may be stressed. And here again, it's like, if I don't achieve this, I'm not good. I'm giving a few examples, but there are millions. If you have to go into your story. You have to go into your and see if you're coming from that place. Because what happens is when you're 20, how old is everybody? 1920. When you're 1920, you may be constantly interacting from that place. And what happens then is, what happens then is, and now I'm going to go off topic, but not off topic. This is not my job as a teacher of a parish class, but it's my job as a human being. You might get married. And here, no, you, I mean you might what the next thing. You might get married. You will get married. And what happens is, in relationships with others, if I am relating to you from my restrictive story, my relationship could never be full. It could never be present. Because my husband may say something to me, and what I hear is not what he's saying. What I hear is what I have been telling myself already for 22 years about me, and suddenly I'm getting upset at him. Something else. If I don't like myself, because I'm not comfortable with myself, for whatever reason, I could never really be present for somebody else. And the reason is, imagine I feel I always have to please you, right? So now you're talking to me. I can't really listen to what you're saying. The only thing I'm focused on is what? What am I going to say next? Where am I in the position? So here's the paradox in life. The more I think about you, the less I can think about you. The more I am comfortable within me, I can actually think about you. If I'm completely comfortable with me and I don't need to please you, now when you're talking to me, I can actually just listen to you. I have the space to listen to you. Sometimes we're told, be selfless, selfless, selfless. That's beautiful, but it can be very damaging. Depends what selfless means. If selfless is a choice, it's beautiful. If selfless is compulsory, it's abusive. Because then what it means, if there's no we, there's only you, I can never actually listen to you. So the Kotzke Rebbe said, you got it? It's a critical point in life. 
If I am I because you are you, in other words, I am always responding to you. I'm always judging you, dodging you, pleasing you, getting validation from you, accolades from you, that I am not I and you are not you. Nor can I be here for you. If I am I, you are you. And it's perfect that way. I don't need you for me. You don't need you for me. Different, different need. We need each other to grow. We don't need each other for approval, for validation. We need each other to grow larger than ourselves. We need each other in a relationship that allows me, allows me to grow beyond. But if I need you to make me feel that I exist, then it's not a relationship. Then I become a parasite. You know what a parasite means? I'm living off you. That's not called a relationship. That's called a relationship. You know how other were created? Very unhealthy. Back to back. You know what back to back means? They were connected like Siamese twins. Why did Hashem separate them? It's the best marriage in the world. Wherever you go, your husband has to go. They say the only woman who always knows where her husband is is a widow. Right? But if he's connected to you in the back, if he's connected to you in the back, you never saw your mother start texting your father, when you're coming home, in three minutes, right? Three hours, he's not home yet, right? If you're connected back to back, you're always one. The problem is you're always one, but you don't see each other. It's not a relationship. So Hashem separated them. Now it's punted and punted. But you can go separate ways. You're separated. Now you have to choose the relationship. Umal chusai, beratsoin kiblu aleha. This is also true with Hashem, by the way. And now, and now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to say it in 30 seconds. If you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, you'll never get it. I don't mean you'll never get it, but it's fine. You don't have to get it. There are two types of Jews, religious Jews. There are religious Jews that have a relationship with Hashem that is abusive, that is unhealthy, even though it's a relationship. They're connected back to back. And there are Jews that have a relationship with Hashem that is healthy and wholesome and happy. The difference is, the relationship with Hashem means I am nothing, I don't matter, I don't exist, and I need God. And the reason I need God is because I hate myself, then I can't be here for God. A relationship with Hashem means conscious intimacy with Hashem. And that is, I know that God created me to be. Hashem wants you to be. And that being chooses a relationship. That's called panem v'panem, not achar v'achar. When you say everything is about Avodah Hashem, I'm not telling you the truth. It's the most beautiful words in the world, and it can also be very abusive if it's out of context. You get what I'm saying? If not, it's fine. We'll elaborate this on this another time. My point I want to make to you is, Lech Lecha. So what's the Lecha? What's the you? What's the you? What's the you? And the answer to that, sorry. <laughs> Is that your story? I don't mean you. I don't mean you. I can't tell you who you are. Because if I tell you who you are, you know, that's, that's again the same problem. That somebody was always telling you who you are. Nobody can ever tell you who you are. The question is, are you capable of telling yourself who you are? 
Because the you who may be telling you who you are is a you that was defined by I. So when that you is telling you who you are, it's not you. It's, it's somebody else's you. Even when I was defined by you, it was so me defined myself by you, so that is me. Not by choice. But everyone's like that. Not by choice. Not by choice, and we have to we have to sort out the good from the bad. It's called boyer. You know what boyer is? You ever learn about boyer? Eichel, psilos, psilos, eichel. This is what boyer is spiritually. So we are only the good things that we are Who said? Maybe it's not true. Maybe we are bad. Like why? Oh, yo, 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 you have a big story. <laughs> you have a big... Oh, good. That's a story. That's what I also no, feel. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. That's why I work so hard to make sure that I'm good. That's true. That's true. So, for example, let's say I finish this class, okay? Let's say I finish this class. And I walk out. I speak a lot. I lecture a lot. So I'm giving a big lecture. I finish. I walk out. And this is what's in my mind. Did I do good? Did I not do good? Did they like me? Did they not like me? What do they think of me? Uh, what do you think about that? You can't. It's That's normal. normal. That's normal. Is that normal? Yeah. It's normal in the sense that we do it. But do you realize how enslaving it is? Do you realize it's normal? Why? Like, you know, no. No, no, because what then what that means what that means is what that means is of course it's nice to get approval. Of course it's nice to get a compliment. That's nothing bad. I like compliments. But the question is if I live off it, if I'm obsessed with it, if that defines my existence. If that's what I'm thinking about for hours, nothing else, what it really means is that my I believe that the I is worthless. It doesn't exist. It's meaningless. If you tell me I was good, then suddenly my I exists. That's a horrible tragedy. That's a horrible tragedy. Which is why you make sure to tell me that the class was good. <laughs> but you, 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 get, you get my point? And this is true with everything. If I go away from a conversation... So what does she think? It's, this doesn't mean you shouldn't get compliments or give compliments. It's a nice thing. And it's good to be critical. If I say, you know what, the class didn't work. They really didn't like it. So next time I should change it. That's good. That's healthy. That's normal. Next time, we'll use the criticism to enhance your work for the future. But when that becomes the parameter of your existence, not good. Yes? Huh? Like all these Maimari Chazal. And I'm telling you what you said. Is the most beautiful idea if you understand it. If not, it's a very abusive idea. Let me tell you how it could be abusive. Let me tell you how it could be noble. means I look at this person and I say, you know what? I could learn from this person. Look. Look at them. I could learn from this person. I could learn from a friend. I could learn from a teacher. I could learn from a sibling. I could learn from a parent. That's an envy that motivates me. Look what they achieve. Look at their consistency. Look how they look how they persevere. These are beautiful things. When kina soifum tarbachachma means, I'm always jealous of other people because I never learn to like myself. It's a terrible thing. Don't blame it on the chazal. Don't blame it on that. And I'm telling you now, you could find me a thousand psukim and amari chazal that contradict everything I said. And I'll tell you, they don't contradict anything. It's an abusive interpretation. You're assuming a quote to me, 
Kabbalah's oh, you're going to quote to me a skafia. You're going to quote to me, it's not about you, it's about other people. You're going to quote to me all the sikhs. You're going to quote to me my class from last week. I'll take her of Ayikra Ella. Ayakri, it's not about you, 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 you. Who are you? This garnish. Then you're going to tell me bittle, 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 hayesh, bittle, mamatsiyas. Then you're going to tell me yechudi ilah, yechudi taka. Then you're going to throw in Mashiach and dira betachtoinim. And then you're going to tell me at the end, it's not about you, it's about God, for heaven's sake. And here this whole guy got up today, lech lecha, you, you, you. And I tell you, with full, I, very good, I tell you with full authority, if the word bittle, if the word Mashiach, if the word if the word if the word being here for others is interpreted as you are nothing, it's abuse. It's abuse. It's not Judaism. It's not Hasidus. That's what it is. It's abuse. I tell you now heart to heart. You want me to tell you who you are. I will not tell you who you are. But I'll tell you a few things about who you are. Okay? <laughs> Number one, here's this. You are, you are unconditionally loved by God. Unconditionally loved by Hashem. Not only are you unconditionally loved by Him, you are actually a living breath of God's energy. You are a living breath. The world is created every single moment anew, including you. And right now, you are just perfect. You're impeccable. You're flawless. You're unconditionally loved. There's nothing you can do to damage that inner, perfect, <coughs> impeccable, flawless, unconditionally loved creature. In that inner space, you are always happy. You're always present. You never have to protect yourself. You never have to justify yourself. You never have to validate yourself. Just like God doesn't have to justify himself. You know. What the nefesh comes is part of the story, and and the nefesh comes is part of your story. But the way we act on the daily basis. The biggest problem no. is that we say I am an animal. That is the nefesh of Bahamas. But the way we act on a daily basis is not coming from the real, real us. It's coming from the nefesh of Till this point, but now it's going to change. But like even. Huh? Even what's Nefesh Bahamas? Nefesh is not evil. Nefesh is a little puppy. You ever, you, ever wanna, you ever have a little puppy in your house? What's so bad about having a puppy? It's just a little puppy. We have to change our whole perception. You're not bad. I don't know what you were taught. Your Nefesh Bahamas is the cutest little puppy ever around. <laughs> Do you, anybody here wants a puppy? Anybody here? They're cute, right? They bark, they bark. They want one thing. Their tongue is out. They want to be held. And what else do they want? Food, food, food. It's not bad. It's just cute. Now imagine, imagine if you come home, you come home and the puppy comes to you and you hug your puppy and then you say, you know what? I am the puppy. That's what you guys are doing. You have a puppy. So what? It's a cute little creature. You don't have to take it so seriously. You could love it. You can help it. People think escafi is a bad word. Escafi means training the puppy. Everybody who has a puppy has to train it. What's the big deal? If not, the puppy makes on your couch. You know that, right? You have another puppy. No, you go outside. If the puppy doesn't listen, you zap it. That's all it means. 
the scarf is a very healthy thing for puppies because they're puppies. That's it. Don't define yourself. All there is to you is a puppy. I want cheesecake. There's nothing else to my identity besides cheesecake. Really? You think there's nothing else to you besides cheesecake when you want cheesecake? You're a puppy. So what? So you're a puppy. Yeah. We all have puppies. I have a big German, uh, what's it, a German shepherd. A big puppy. Okay, they're a little scary. If you don't control the puppy, it could become a tiger. You control it. We know that. People can get very destructive. But you're all, you're all still puppies. So you have to caress your puppy. You have to be nice to it. Lech lecha. Whenever you're in that place of lecha, you don't show someone not actually happy. They don't have to go to therapy to be happy. Why? <coughs> because you are happy, trust me. Not all of them. Not all of them. Unless it's something major. A child, I'm not talking about who is trauma, chas Or there's a situation. <coughs> in a natural state, the little child is moving, is happy. We say in Hoytu every day, Oiz Chedva Ben Kaimai. You know what that means? There is power, strength, confidence. Listen to this. When you say Hoytu tomorrow, I want you to think. Oiz Chedva Ben Kaimai. There is confidence and there is joy in his space. You know what that means? That means whenever you are in your space, not in my space, You'll be confident and you'll be joyous. The problem is when you're not in your space, you're in my space. When I'm speaking to you and I'm not in me, I'm in you. Then I can't be here for you because I'm not here for me. Only if I'm here for me can I be here for you. When I'm in my space, I'm confident, I'm present. Confidence means presence. Because when you're not confident, you can never be present, right? Because you're timid. Could you ever be present in a conversation? You can't. When you're confident, you're present, and you're happy. Why? Because the inner self, God loves unconditionally, and it's always there. What's the revolution of Tanya? That you could never damage yourself. You could cover it. You can repress it. You could never damage it. It's one of the most beautiful ideas in life. Well-being, your well-being is essential to you. There's nothing you can do to damage it. Even somebody who's been abused, even somebody who's been violated, and these are serious stuff in life, trust me. I'm a little involved with these things, if you're familiar, what's going on. And uh, I'm talking about molestation. I'm talking about violation. And this damages people sometimes for life. I know boys, I know girls who have been touched, who have been abused, their whole life is, is affected, and not in a good way. The whole idea of lech lecha means that even abuse cannot reach your core. It can reach into a lot, but it cannot reach your core. And if you get the help, and you could get the help, and if you know somebody or yourself, don't wait, because there's a lot of help there confidentially. I say this derechada, parenthetically. There's a core that is still confident and powerful. Not powerful in an arrogant way. Let me tell you another thing where lecha is. The lecha, the you, never judges people. Because if I'm busy judging you, it means I'm in a competition with you. The reason I'm in a competition with you is because I don't like you. You hear? Whenever you find your mind judging other people, oh, she's such a this, she's such a that, she's such a yachna, she's such a tzatzka, she's such a this, she's such a that. I'm not saying you're not allowed to have an opinion or, uh, or, or a principle or a value or disagree with somebody. Of course I could. I should. 
But when I find my mind busy with your life instead of my life, when I'm obsessed with you instead of me, so what does the Balshamtiv say when you see flaws in somebody else? What is it? Yeah. It's a mirror. Why does the Balshamtiv say that? Why can I see flaws in you when it's you? Balshamtiv was a very wise man. What he was saying is, when you're obsessed with somebody else's flaws, it's not their story. It's your story. It's your, there's something in you that's unresolved. That space of lecha is so filled with inner wholesomeness and confidence because you're loved unconditionally. And there's nothing you have to do to prove yourself or make yourself good. All Torah and mitzvahs always comes after that. If Torah and mitzvahs replaces your self-value, it's not Torah and mitzvahs. Yiddishkeit is based on lech lecha. You, you need to realize the unconditional value of you under all times, all circumstances, and all places, and it's never negotiable. You'll tell me, yeah, but I wasn't accepted to the seminary in Svas, and I wasn't accepted to the seminary in Yerushalayim, and I wasn't accepted to Camp Munez head council, and I wasn't accepted to this clique. And my mother told me I'm this. And this one said I'm an embarrassment. And I was thrown out by the Mechameches. And blah, 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 blah. I'm a rotten girl. You know why you're rotten? Because you think you're rotten. That's the only thing that makes you rotten. Nothing else makes you rotten. So to get where you're starting to happen to you, which is... It works together. You have to start identifying. For example, if I finish this class and I walk out, yeah, and all I'm thinking is, do they like it, they not like it, they not like it, and a half an hour later I'm still thinking about that, what do I do? I have to say, one second, one second. What is the story in me that is feeding this obsession? I, you can't get rid of your story. You're not supposed to. You just have to identify. That's the bane in me. What's the bane in me? The bane doesn't get rid of his story. He doesn't kill the puppy. He just identifies it. You understand? And if you identify it, you're good. If we're having a conversation and you're making me very nervous, and I don't know why, and I'm getting critical of you and I can't listen to you, all I have to do is go back to me and identify what's the story that I'm, that I'm responding to. What's this minhametzar? When you call out to Hashem from your Meitzar, from your restrictive, respond to me from an expansive place. Imagine you could live your life, girls, okay, without any Meitzar. Completely expansive. In other words, your whole soul, your whole body, your whole presence, your whole heart is present in everything you do in life. There's no you're not living with a bulletproof vest. There's people that live their whole life with bulletproof vests. You know what bulletproof vests are? You're always with a bullet. You're expecting a bullet, and you're ready to shoot back a bullet. Confrontational, bitter, jealous, afraid, timid, scared, crossing the street because you don't want to meet somebody, not picking up the phone because you're afraid of the conversation, being afraid of somebody saying you weren't hired. Right? You know when you don't pick up a call because you don't want to hear? What is that about? I can't deal with me. I don't like me. If I like me, then you could tell me you didn't hire me. I'm fine. I may be upset that I didn't get the job. That's fine. You'd be upset. But it's not, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm not killed. I'm fine. Because the I doesn't exist because you want it to exist. 
The I is divine. The I is essential. That's the yesh that Hashem wanted to be, so that there should be a conscious relationship with Him by choice. Adam and Chava, face to face, not back to back. Yeah. Where did you tell you that? You come to my classes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do till you get there? Okay, you never get there, trust me. <laughs> you never get there. What you do is you identify. You do two things. You have to identify the story, and you have to identify that there's a part of you that's not part of that story. Someone's story is so like, like on top of that or whatever, yeah. happening all the time. And until they go beyond it, that's so restricting. Could they fake it or something? These things you can't Could fake. a real tzaddik live the truth? Yeah, but we're not real tzaddikim. I'm saying, I tell And we don't have to be real tzaddikim. The first thing you've got to get rid of is guilt. Okay? Here again, guilt could be the most beautiful thing, it could be the most abusive thing. Here is guilt abuse, okay? You're just not good. You're just not good. You're disappointing the Rebbe. That's a big one. Not good. You're a disappointment to the Rebbe. You're a disappointment to the thing. If the Beis HaMikdash is not built in your times, it means it was destroyed in your times. So you're responsible for the Chur Beis HaMikdash. Every mitzvah you do is a brick in the Beis HaMikdash. Every time you don't do a mitzvah, you just destroy the brick of the Beis HaMikdash. You know, girls, you're just... You happen to be the Jew you are. You're just really not good. I'm just disappointed with all of you. I mean, you're just a letdown. I expected so much more of you. You know, so many kaiches there are they put into you, and look what you did. <laughs> so what do, you, what do we walk away with? What's the message we walk away with? We walk away feeling God's unconditional love. That's what we walk away with. Or we walk away with, you know, this is not a place for me. So either you fake it, or you get alienated, or you get disappointed. This tshuva tata, tshuva ilah, right? People misunderstand it. What's tshuva tata? Tshuva tata is, I made a mistake, I ask forgiveness. What's tshuva ilah? Tshuva ilah means, listen to this, tshuva ilah means the idea that I feel that I have to do tshuva. That's what I'm doing tshuva for. Got it? The fact that I feel that I have to do tshuva because I am bad, that's what I'm doing tshuva for. Tshuva ilah means... Doing tshuva for doing tshuva. The fact that I came to believe that my eye is rapping. I'm doing tshuva for that. That's real tshuva. That's the higher level. And that's always with joy. This doesn't mean if I made it, of course, guilt is a beautiful thing. Guilt means if I lie to you or I ashamed you, I feel not good about it. Our time is up, I guess. If, if I ashamed somebody or I cheated or I lied, I feel guilty. That's good. Because I'm sensitive, on the contrary. Yeah, somebody did. That's a good thing. If, 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 when you're in touch with your you, and you lie to somebody, your you cries. Why did you do that? So then I'll go over to you. I feel guilty. I apologize to you. I fix it. And I'm good. That's when I feel guilty about what I did. Because I betrayed my me. But when I feel guilty about me, it's terrible. It's terrible. Never feel guilty about you. Feel guilty about not being you. That's what you feel guilty. When I lied, I was not being me. Because if I was being me, I would never lie to you. Because my inner lecha doesn't lie ever. Why, why would it lie? Why would it not say the truth? Why would anybody, could you explain this to me? Why would anybody ever not say the truth? Why? I'm scared. 
sphere exactly. Insecure, face themselves. That's not. It's not you should be, you don't have to should. The, the problem is the word should. You don't have to should. You are. So how do you explain the That's the most beautiful that's the most beautiful meditation. Every morning you wake up. LA Kai. Huh? No, B is the body. No, no, B is the body. Right, and that's what we say every single morning right when we wake up. Now think about those words, meditate about those words. What it means is the soul that you, you, you God have put into me, have given into me. And this constitutes my core, my essence, my truth. And it's completely wholesome. It's completely perfect. It's, it's sacred. It's beautiful. It's confident. It's happy. It's joyous. It's not needy. And it's not afraid. We say an expression in the Hishainis on Sukkot, the third day. Chavuka udvuka bach. Toyenes ulach yechida liyachtoch. You heard the expression. It embraces you. It's dovok. It's one with you. It cleaves onto you. It carries your burden. It's completely one, completely one with you. Now we also have a Nefesh Bahamas. We also have a, an animal consciousness. And sometimes we operate on that level of consciousness. We may not even know we have anything else. And one of the ideas that the Tanya teaches is that the Nefesh Bahamas also is not evil, essentially, it's more afraid. It's more insecure. It needs education. Our work with the Nefesh Bahamas is not to obliterate it, to destroy it, to kill it. It's to refine it. It's to work with it. It's to make it more confident, make it more secure, elevate it, sublimate it. Our animal soul is just looking to survive. It creates all of these stories because that's its best way of survival. That's what it knows best. It wants to live. It wants to be happy. It wants to be comfortable. And we really need to, need to mature it. We want to elevate it. We want to work with it. And every person can reach different levels with their Nefesh Bahamas. And the truth is, in life, you never get rid of your story completely, unless you're on a great level. The challenge is to identify it. The challenge is to become aware of it. The challenge is that at a certain point in my day, when I'm feeling a certain emotion, I can identify and say, this emotion is coming from my restrictive definition of myself. This emotion, this instinct, this craving, this addiction, this fear, this thought, these words, this behavior, this attitude, this perspective is coming from my story. Whether it's Artsacha, my Ladatacha, Beisavicha, but that's what I am responding to. And I can then choose not to live from that place, to identify the Nefesh Bahamas, and then to work with it, to sublimate it. It needs work. That's what the Tanya says. There are, there are people who transform the Nefesh Bahamas. It's not about eliminating. It's, we're not dealing with something heinous, evil, horrific. We're dealing with an animal that needs education. 
it needs to be educated. And in this whole process, there's always the lecha, the lech lecha, that core self that is always in a state of well-being, always in a state of dveikus. It's a beautiful maimah from the Alter Rebbe. It's, uh, it's in Lekutei Torah, the maimah of Rosh Hashanah. The maimah begins with the Pasuk Shir HaMalas, Memamakim Krasich HaShem. And there he says that there's always a dimension of the Jew that is echad yachid meyuchadim Hashem Yisbarach b'li shum pirud b'shum oifer. There's always that dimension of the self, the core self, which is completely one with the infinite, completely one with God, completely one with truth, and could never ever be separated under no conditions, under no circumstances. And then he asks a question on himself. He says there are so many psukim that tell us hikares tikares hanefesh. There are certain sins that a person does which cut off the soul from its source. And the Alter Rebbe responds in that mimer, he says, no, zed nemer al-pchines yakar, abel al-pchines yisrael, it doesn't exist. He says, you know, in the soul there's a level we call yakar, which means akar, which is the heel. He says, over there, there can be an aspect where we get so entangled, we can become detached from our source. But pchines yisrael, eino nifredes mimenu yisbarach b'shom there's always that dimension of self that is completely wholesome and sacred and good and holy and happy and confident and is not defined by all these fears and all these issues. And uh, he elaborates, he elaborates, he elaborates on it at length. There was once a, a talk of the Rebbe, Shabbos Parshish Nitzavim Tavshin Yutes. The last uh, Shabbos of uh, the year, 1959, at the end of the Fabrengen, the Rebbe mentioned the two uh, aspects of tshuva that we mentioned earlier, tshuva tatan, tshuva ilah, the lower level of tshuva and the higher level of tshuva. And he said that the tshuva tata, the lower level of tshuva is, you're doing tshuva because you're frustrated with your sins and your distance from truth, and that's what tshuva tata is. Tshuva ilah is always done with a simcha because it comes from reflecting on how good you are and how holy you are. The fact that your soul is a chelek elekami mal, Mamish and even under every situation, it was always there in that good space, in a sacred space, in a powerful space. And he says, reflecting on Shuvei Law is always done with joy, it's done with, with Simcha because it's realizing how great you are, how awesome you are. And he gives a fantastic parable, Gavaldika, a Gavaldika Marshal. Says, imagine somebody is really, really wealthy. Let's say, let me say it in my own words: You're not a multi-millionaire. You're a multi-billionaire. You're extremely wealthy, but you know what you do to make a living? You actually become a beggar and you go from door to door, begging people to give you pennies and nickels. How painful! How degrading! You have access. You have in your resource so much, so much wealth. So much prosperity, you have such an abundance, but you don't know about it. So you degrade yourself to do something that you don't have to do. And what are you doing? You're begging people for pennies and nickels. That's what Shuvila. Shuvila means realize how great you are, realize what a giant you are, realize how awesome you are. So you now feel needy, you become a beggar of the Sahara, following every superficial addiction, every instinct, because you're looking to the Yitzhahara, to fill your voids. You have millions and billions of spiritual dollars. 
Your soul is intimately one with God. It's a reflection of infinity. Your lecha is beyond limitations. So now you're becoming a beggar, degrading yourself, belittling yourself, living in a space that is so beneath who you really are and what your potential is. You have so much depth, you have so much confidence, you have so much joy, you have so much ruchnias, you have so much kedushi, you have so much refinement. So you're now begging for what? For copper, copper pennies? When you have endless silver and gold? That's the metaphor he gave. And he said, the Rebbe Marash teaches, L'chatchila ariber. So we start with tshuva ilah. You don't have to start with tshuva tata. Now this doesn't mean you shouldn't acknowledge mistakes. It's a response to your question. Of course you acknowledge your mistakes. But acknowledge it from the perspective of tshuva ilah. Don't acknowledge it, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. Realize the greatness of lecha, go into the lecha, find your lecha, believe in your lecha. And from that place, you, 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 fix, you fix your mistakes. And you're not afraid to fix your mistakes. Now, you asked before about askafia. That's I think this is one major aspect of askafia. What does, really, what does askafia mean? Iskafia doesn't mean to destroy yourself because you're evil. On the contrary, Iskafia means that when you identify that certain emotions or moods are coming from your story, you tell yourself, I'm not going to be a slave to these addictions, to these cravings. I will subdue them because this is not really me. And I'm not going to become a slave to these superficial stuff that are not me. I don't want to live in that box. I don't want to live in that shell. I don't want to live in that confined space. I don't want to be there. I may have so I may have those voices, but I will not subjugate and sell my heart and my truth and my lecha to something that is so foreign to me. I'm not going to degrade myself and go from door to door begging for a penny and a nickel when I have access to so much more. So yes, Iskafia, I'm going to subdue those voices that tell me to be afraid, that tell me to lie, that tell me to fall prey to all these gluttonous cravings, or whatever it may be in your life. The narcissism, the fear, the shame, the guilt, the insecurity, the taiva. And even if I have it in me, I'm not in a state of ishapcha where I don't have it, I, I still have it, but I have the courage of, of, of doing a scaffy, of going out of those limitations. And that's to what we say, Neshamesh and Asatabi Tahiri. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.